What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian? Uh, what do we get by having the Holy Spirit living within us? We sang about it a little bit earlier. We know he's our counselor, he's our guide, he's our helper. But what does that actually mean for us and how can it help us live out our faith as Christians? That's what we're going to learn about today. So I want to I start with a couple facts and a question. We live in a time where there's just a tremendous amount of information out there. The internet has changed everything. There's, you know, endless access in our pockets, on our computers. There's so much going on at any given time. And so much just data generated every day. I have a few stats on that. Over 3 million emails are sent every second of every day. That's incredible. I think half of those come to my inbox. Uh, 500 hours of video is uploaded to YouTube every minute, which is 720,000 hours uh, every day. 25, uh, sorry, 7 million hours per day of TikToks are watched. There are 8.5 billion Google searches, 500 million tweets, 510,000 comments posted every minute on Facebook. There's over a billion posts per day on Instagram. You get the picture. There's a lot out there. There's so much information, not to mention all of the articles and blog posts and other things, news sources that we all read and encounter every single day. So my question then out of all this is what helps to guide you? What helps you navigate through the landscape of information? What helps you to find and live what is true? I have a quote I want to share this morning. I came across a poem uh, about finding the truth. It says this, For in the truth we find our way and learn to live with hearts full of sway. We discover the beauty in all around and embrace the truth with joyful sound. You know who wrote that? That was ChatGPT. That's who that was. Now, some of you may not know who Chat, what ChatGPT is. It is a, an, an artificial intelligence uh, predictive text algorithm that, uh, that can generate all kinds of answers. It's this incredible technology. We don't really know what it means for the world yet, but it is an example of another way that we are just bombarded with, with forms of information, which, with ways of consuming data. And so the question remains, how do we navigate this complex landscape? So we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit. So let's just jump right into our text that we already heard read. Um, you can go ahead and grab your pew Bibles underneath, or if you brought a Bible, we also are going to have it projected on the screens. Um, we're starting halfway through verse 4, and it says this. Jesus begins by saying, I did not tell you these things from the beginning, because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Jesus has been telling them this for the last several chapters in the book of John. Uh, this whole time that we're in in the book of John is Jesus' farewell discourse. It's the final words Jesus has to say to, to the disciples. So kind of the bullet points of what is most important for you to hear before I'm gone, before I leave. And so they've just found out that he's leaving not that long ago. They're still working through that and processing it. They've also heard that Jesus is commanding them to love each other in this self-sacrificial way like he's loved them, laying their lives down for one another. And then to cap it all off, last week, Pastor Mike told us that they're going to face trials and persecution when he leaves. So they're, they're going to have their hardest time of ministry yet ahead of them, but Jesus isn't going to be with them. It even says that they're going to be killed for their faith in him, Right? So what do they do with this? I can only imagine how the disciples are feeling in that moment that Jesus is leaving, yet it's going to be really hard. And I want you to try to imagine and put yourself in the shoes of a disciple. You've left behind your job. 
You've left behind your family, your home, everything you've known to follow this guy who you really believe in. And you've gone through three years of ministry together. And just when he says, hey, things are about to get really, really hard, you're going to really face persecution and danger. He's leaving. It, it, it blows my mind to think about being in that position as a disciple. But then uh, another way that I think of this, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the show Band of Brothers. It's one of my favorite. Uh, it's an HBO special. But um, I love it because it's, it's awesome. And it's about World War II. It's a true story. But also there's a leader in it, Captain Winters, who's very captivating to me. Um, I just love seeing the way he leads Easy Company through these battles. And in World War II, really big battle, Battle of the Bulge, they're about to go. Imagine the night before, they've been, they've been fighting together, training together, doing this all together. And then the captain, the leader, just says, yeah, no, actually, I'm out. I'm not going to be there tomorrow in the, in the hardest battle we're going to face yet. It's unimaginable what that might feel like to be one of the disciples. And then what comes next, I'm not just saying this, all right? It's one of the most amazing statements in the Bible. It's, it's in my top 10, for sure. This is one of the most incredible things Jesus says. Look, at, look with me. Here, uh, verse 6, you're, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. Um, as, as I just described, the disciples are overwhelmed. They, they can't, they're having a hard time processing this. They don't know where Jesus is going, why he has to leave. And then in verse 7, we get this incredible statement from Jesus. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. If you didn't catch it, it's probably because you haven't spent many hours with the text like me over the last couple of weeks. It is for your good that I am going away. Again, try to imagine that you are one of the disciples. Jesus, how could it possibly be better that you would leave us? What could be better than having Jesus with us in his presence? I think everyone in this room, to one degree or another, can identify with the idea that, I, I've thought this before myself, wouldn't it be just so great to be able to go back in time to when Jesus was on the earth. To go back in time and hear Jesus teach, to see him heal, to watch him do miracles, like to see Lazarus come out of the tomb, that would be incredible. And no doubt it would. But I think to myself, man, it, that would be amazing. Then I would really see Jesus. I would know him. I would, it would change my life. I, I would really believe more if I saw him. But Jesus is saying here in this passage, uh, no, it is better that he's gone for us today because we get the Holy Spirit. So it's better that Jesus goes away because we're going to get the Holy Spirit and we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? And how is it better that Jesus is gone and the Holy Spirit is here? So the rest of verse 7 says, Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Um, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, I want to talk briefly about this word, the advocate. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is called the advocate, um, and defining it could help us. Also, as Paul mentioned, I went to seminary. So I spent thousands of dollars on a seminary education in order to be able to talk about Greek words to you. Uh, and so I'm going to make good on that investment right now. I'm just kidding. We're talking about two of them today, too, so this is a good one. Uh, <laughs> this word, Mike actually mentioned it last week. It's parakaletos, and it's a Greek word. It's two parts. It's a compound word, para and kaleo. And all you need to know about it is that para means to be alongside or to be with someone, and kaleo means to call someone to something. 
And in the context here, specifically, we're going to learn to call someone to what is true or to call someone to belief. And so the spirit, if you want to try to put it in a compound English word, is literally the, the, the person who comes alongside you and calls you to something. The person who comes alongside you and shows you and, and calls you to what is true, right? Um, and I love that, that Jesus is just speaking about the spirit as a person. It's, it's helpful to rem- remember this as this was an idea that's really still was emerging at the time. The spirit is a person. It's one of the three persons of the Trinity, right? Foundational Christian doctrine belief. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, this is a person, and the person is someone who comes alongside and calls people to something. So what we see in verse 8, when he comes to approve the world to be in the wrong, about sin, righteousness, and judgment, this is the role of the Holy Spirit coming into the world, coming alongside the world, and calling them to something. And specifically, it's belief. Now, I don't have time to unpack really verses 9 through 11 because I want to really focus on what the Spirit means for us. But the role of the Spirit in the world is simply this. The world doesn't believe in Jesus. Jesus has come. He's ministering to the world. And the Holy Spirit's going to continue that ministry. And the purpose of the world, some translations here use convict to convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is here to show the world to be in the wrong about sin, to show the world that they are in need of a savior, that they are in need of belief in Jesus. This is Jesus' whole ministry, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, so that whoever believes in him might not perish, right? They must believe in Jesus in order to, to, to be forgiven of sins, to be, to be given righteous status. And so the spirit comes in the world as this helper, as this guide, as this advocate, not to bring shame to the world about sin, not to condemn the world about sin. That's, a, that's another function. But the Holy Spirit specifically comes to show the world their sin, which is actually a gift of God, a grace of God to the world. Because by showing and convicting of sin, God is trying to bring people to him. There's still time. God is trying to bring people into a knowledge, a saving knowledge of who he is by bringing them into belief. So, There's so much more that could be said, especially about verses 10 and 11. We're going to leave it there for now. The role of the Holy Spirit in the world, there is conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God is trying to draw the world to himself. But then Jesus in verse 12 says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So this is the role of the Holy Spirit for the followers of Jesus, to be guiding them into all of the truth. So why is it better that Jesus is gone for the world? Because the Spirit will come and convict, prove them wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment, provide a way for them to come um, and know God. For the disciples, why is it better that Jesus is gone? Because he is going to guide them into a knowledge of the truth. What does that really mean? What Jesus says next here is kind of a confusing sequence uh, here in the, and it's hard to translate it, and that's why we, we get what we have here. But I hope I can bring some clarity on, on the layers that are, there's so much involved here. Um, and this guiding in truth really looks like what Jesus has been given from the Father. And this is what it says here, uh, what he receives from me, he will make known to you, and all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is another way of saying that Jesus is God, essentially. That all the fullness of God is now present in Jesus. 
And the disciples are still coming to terms with this, by the way, but Jesus has been talking about this in his ministry. He says that I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen God the Father, right? So he's been teaching them and showing them this all along, that he and is God, that I and the Father are one. It's this incredible revelation, this, this revealing more about God in the person of Jesus. And so... Um, The truth that is being referenced here when it says the spirit of truth is going to guide us into all truth, the truth is really who is Jesus. That is what the spirit helps the disciples see. The disciples are going to be shown and it's going to be revealed to them more about the true nature of Jesus as God. Jesus as fully human and fully divine. This is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. And notice too, in verse 14, it says... He will glorify me because it is from me he will receive what he will make known to you. So this process of revealing Jesus, of telling the world about Jesus and who he is, is giving glory to God. This is where we see some of the majesty, the beauty, the glory of God in the gospel story. No other system of belief in the world, no other religion has their God, their deity coming to the earth in the form of a man of becoming a human. It's an incredible piece of our faith. And it is a beautiful aspect of the gospel. And this is one of the primary roles. This is the main job of the Spirit. So the main job of the Spirit is guiding the world in the truth, making Jesus known, showing them their lack of belief. And the, and the a main role of the Holy Spirit in the follower of Jesus is the same thing, guiding us in the truth and showing us and revealing to us more about what is good in Jesus and what is good in the gospel. And let me, uh, let me just read a couple of passages of scripture. Really what Jesus, Jesus' person on, on earth is God speaking to us. John 1.1 1, 1 calls Jesus the word. Literally just the word of God. That's one of the, name, one of the many names for Jesus. And what that means is that Jesus is a, is a further revelation of who God is. He is the revelation of God, the fullest extent of revelation. Hebrews 1 says it this way. It says that in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets and many times and in various ways, talking about the Old Testament scripture. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And then it says, verse 3, the son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. This is God basically sending himself to the earth to show us who he is. He's told us about himself in scripture, but now he's showing us about himself. He's showing us this is what it would look like if I became a human because I did, and it's Jesus, right? Like that, that is what God is doing for us here. Colossians 1.19 says it this way, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The reason why I'm, I'm, I'm staying on this idea of God in Jesus is partially because of how unique it is, but because this is a huge piece of, of why the Trinity is important. God the Father, with all authority, all power, gave that power authority to Jesus the Son. And Jesus came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and then the Spirit glorifies the Son by showing us more about that dynamic by showing us and revealing to us more about that truth. Okay. So what does all this mean for us? If this is the role of the Holy Spirit and it really is better that Jesus is gone and he shows us more about the truth of Jesus, how does that help us? 
Like once we know the truth about Jesus, that's great. I, that's the gospel, right? God, God came to save sinners. God came to die for us. That's, that's great. God loves us. How does that help me? How does that truth actually help me? Well, we can know something is true, but still not really believe it's true. There's a lot of examples of this. Um, like for me, I may know that the salad is a better option than the cookie, but if you looked at my life, you would have no idea I knew that information. It's not, that's not a choice I make. Uh, it can be the case for a lot of things in our life, that, and, and it's kind of at the root of a lot of our nonsensical behaviors. Things that we do that just, why, why are we choosing to do this wrong thing? Well, we know what's right, but we don't always act on it. We don't choose the good thing because we don't really believe that that's going to be better for us. We don't really have conviction about that. They give it this way too. You may have a lot of evidence in your life about your own value or your own self-worth. Your job, your family, people around you. But that one comment from your dad 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that could still gnaw at you and break down your own value, your own self-worth. We don't always fully believe what we know to be true in our minds. And it's the same with God. We can know a lot of true things about God. We can know that he loves us, but we don't always act like he loves us. That's why comments can really hurt us. We know that his plan is good, that he's wise, that he's sovereign over our life. But that doesn't always mean that life isn't hard and that life isn't scary. And we can, we can easily fall into fear because we don't necessarily always really believe that he has our good in mind, that he has what's best for us in mind. So I think this is something that is really at the core of what the Spirit's work is all about. Um, one brief story, uh, I, I was really impacted by seeing this interview from a famous magician named Penn Gillette. I don't know if, if you know Penn and Teller, uh, but I saw this interview one time. He's also a famous atheist. Uh, he talked about this guy who came up to him after a comedy magic show uh, with Bible in hand, like literally Bible-thumping Christian, came up to him and just started preaching to him about hell and sin and repentance and all these things. And instead of getting defensive at the very end, he simply just said, thank you. And he, and he appreciated the guy's, uh, the guy's comments. And the reason why is because he said, as this guy was talking, I realized he really believes what he's saying. He really believes that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell. And so he is fully convicted that he needs to tell me about it. As a public atheist, he fully believes, like, oh, this guy needs to be saved. So he's, he's acting on his belief. He's coming to me after a show. He's being brave. He's, he's being courageous. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's, that's a great point. How many times do I really act on what I believe already to be true about God? I have a lot of information about God. I have a lot of knowledge. But how does that knowledge really sink into my heart so that I act it out in my life? It's just too easy to stop at thinking the right things about God. Knowing about him, knowing about God and Jesus, and then just calling that belief. But that's not the picture that Jesus gives us. Chapter earlier, in chapter 15, Siler preached about the vine and the branches. And he talked about what it really means to follow Jesus, what it really means to be connected to the vine. And what it looks like is a, a vine that is bearing fruit, that is bearing much fruit, that's abundantly fruitful, that's producing and one of the signs that we are really connected, that we are really plugged in to Jesus, we're really connected to the vine, is that our lives are bearing fruit. 
that there's life change happening. It's another word of just saying that our lives are changing and we're looking more like Jesus. We're bearing fruit. And one of the most famous passages that talk about fruit is in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, right? If, if we're really connected to Jesus, our lives should be changing and we should be looking more like someone who is exercising love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a really good litmus test. Every time I read through and pray through those attributes, it's convicting because I know that I'm not fully living it out. There's only one person who fully lived out those attributes and it's in the person of Jesus. And this, I think, is really where we get the fruit, for lack of a better word, pun intended, of this passage. The Spirit helps make what is true real to us. It helps turn these things that we know about God into realities about God. It shows us that what we read in the Bible, what we learn about God, what we learn from one another as we have fellowship and as we're here every Sunday and in small groups as we are being the body of Christ, is it makes real that knowledge. It makes it shine for us. Jonathan Edwards has a really good um, bit about this. He's a, he's a great American uh, theologian and philosopher. He was a pastor and he had a congregation in Northampton. Um, and uh, it, 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 everyone at that time, this is you know, early, early, uh, pre being a country, I guess, really, uh, this, everyone at that time was a Christian. Everyone in the, in the town. And towns were built just like the churches at the center and all of you know, your life is centered around the church and around attending church. And everyone went and everyone said they believed. But he is known to be a fiery, passionate preacher of God's word. And why would you be so passionate and so fiery and so preaching the same thing every week of how people need to repent and believe in Jesus? And his answer is that he would see people say, yeah, I, I believe in heaven. But then it wouldn't change how they act in their life. It wouldn't change what they did. Uh, it wouldn't actually look like it bears fruit in their life. And so he said the difference between a nominal Christian and someone who's fully devoted follower of Jesus is this idea of, he called them spiritual realities. The reality of heaven. The reality of God. The reality of, of what Jesus did. And the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit makes these things real to us. And one more example before um, I get to exactly how that works. I want, I, want to, I want you to consider the disciples before and after the Spirit comes. So Jesus is saying here, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And uh, the Spirit is going to, it's going to be better than I'm gone because the Spirit's going to come. He's going to guide you in this truth. Okay. Before this, in all four Gospels, we see the disciples kind of bumbling along they're, but they're there and they really believe and they're, they're all in, they're devoted to Jesus. And Peter even says that he would go with Jesus even unto death, right? They really, they really believe in him. But then we get this critical testing moment in just a couple chapters time in, in the gospel of John. Jesus is arrested. He goes through a trial and gets crucified. And the disciples, as soon as the people come to arrest Jesus, bolt, they scatter. And so how deeply seated was that belief that Peter had? that he articulated even to Jesus. How much did they really want to follow him into anything? That's before the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is the event we call Pentecost. After the Spirit comes, what do we see the disciples doing in Acts? They believe. They really believe. And they face persecution, the persecution and trials that Jesus says comes. 
And they still believe and they still carry their faith forward. And the church is still going on today. We're here right now, by the way. Hello. Like, it's amazing. It's this amazing difference. And what's the difference? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. And the Holy Spirit has made real these truths about Jesus that they knew in their heads. Jesus has been talking about. He's been teaching them this whole time. But now it's been made real. They've seen the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has come and descended upon them in Acts chapter 2. And then their ministry begins. And many of them and many others after would die for their faith. The word martyr means witness. It's a testimony. It's a witness to the, to the truth of Jesus that is deep in their lives. That actually has changed their lives. So what is really happening here? And here's what I think is happening. The Holy Spirit guiding us in the truth about who Jesus is. Well, Jesus is truth embodied. Jesus is the truth about who God is living on earth. Jesus is what it would look like if God lived a human life because that's exactly what happened. He shows us. He gives us an example of God loving us, being patient with us. If you want to see an example of God's love, you can look at the story in John of the adult woman caught in adultery. How does Jesus handle it there? If you want to learn a story about how God deals with 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 anxiety and, and worry, look at how Jesus just calms the storm for the disciples. God has power. If you want to see any characteristic or attribute of God, you can find it rooted in the person of Jesus and in a story about Jesus. You can see the heart of God lived out on the pages of the Gospels. And so when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not some power we can invoke, like the force from Star Wars to like do things. No, the power of the Holy Spirit is the spirit that dwells within us and reveals more about the truth and the beauty and the glory, as this passage tells us, the glory about who Jesus really is. And that is what's transformative. When we really see God's love for us, his, his heart for the world, when we really see it in Jesus, we cannot help but live different lives. We cannot help but change the way we're acting. And I think, <clears throat> too, just talking about the Spirit being a guide and helping us navigate through life, I think a lot of times when we're stuck um, and we reach out for guidance, it's because of a couple, maybe, maybe two, two big categories, at least for me. We blame it on two things. A lot of us start with circumstances, right? The things that aren't working in my life right now, it's because I've got a bad boss or the wrong teacher or the wrong spouse or if only I had a higher salary or a bigger house or a better job or better vacations, more time off. It's just all circumstances. Or maybe sometimes another way, we just think there's some knowledge or trick or secret that we don't have yet. Some thing we're not doing, some habit or practice or diet or some plan, life plan that we don't have. But the Bible says, no, it's not information that you need. It's not a change of circumstances that you need. The information that you have already isn't real to you. It's a matter of belief. And that's why we don't believe in God and what he says about is true about us and is true about him. In Jesus, all these spiritual realities become perfectly real because they become a person. They become the person of Jesus Christ. And I'll close with this. One of the ways that I, uh, I've kind of changed my, my thinking recently um, is in what I pray about. Because I can get stuck in a loop pretty easily of what I pray about. And it does often have a lot to do with circumstances. Um, I find myself praying that God would just, oh, if you would just change this, if you would just remove this, take this away, make this person nicer, please. Um, then everything would change in my life, right? 
it's so easy to get stuck for me in a loop of praying like that. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you that Rebecca and I, we have two wonderful daughters. Uh, one of them, the youngest one, is Sophia. And she's awesome. She's great. But she's had some challenges in her life, some, some health things, but also she's just a terrible sleeper. I know there's a lot of bigger challenges out there than just sleep. But man... In the middle of the night, it doesn't feel like there's a bigger challenge than sleep. Uh, when, when I'm holding a baby that does not want to go, go to sleep. And that is a great opportunity to meet with the Holy Spirit, let me tell you. Uh, you know, you're just there for hours holding a crying baby. That is being terrible. And uh, yeah, so in, in my prayer, I mean, for months and months, this would happen every night. She's up for so long. I would just find myself crying out to God saying, God, would you just help her to sleep? Would you just help her not to be so uncomfortable? Would you help her to... Just help us to sleep. Give someone sleep in this house, please. Like anything. Change. Would you just chum and change the circumstance? And I literally did pray that for months. And there's nothing wrong with asking God to change your, change your circumstances. I just want to say that. There are hard circumstances and there are un, in, unjust things and things that are, that are as a result of the fall. It is not a problem to pray for God to change your circumstances. But I noticed a change in my own heart as I was praying and asking God to just to help me, to show me, Holy Spirit, please come. And I started praying, and not that God would change my circumstances, but that God would change me. Whoa, it's just, you know, like this is a very simple 180, but in all those months of praying, it just didn't hit me until one night, I remember very clearly, I just started praying, God, I know that Sophie's probably gonna get up, and that when she does, I'm gonna be exhausted, and I'm gonna be frustrated. Would you help me to respond like Jesus? Would you help me to not be so frustrated? Would you help me to have patience, kindness? Would you help me to find joy even in the situation that you've given us an amazing child, amazing baby? Help me to, to rejoice even in that fact. Like, help me to respond in the way that you would respond here, in the way that Jesus would respond here. And uh, that's why we're going to hand out WWJD bracelets right after the service. No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Those are gone forever, I think. But it just changed the way that I was praying about that situation and that kind of spilled over into other areas of my life because I started seeing fruit from it. I started seeing the fruit of the Spirit. I started seeing myself grow in ways that made me more like Christ because I wasn't praying against what was hard in my life, but I was just praying that God would instead soften me and that I'd be more like him. So why is it better that Jesus is gone? Because the Holy Spirit is here. And he is inside each and every one of us. And you can invite the spirit into the struggles you're in, into the circumstances you're in. You can ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit to point you to the truth about Jesus. To reveal more of the beauty in the gospel of God becoming a man and saving sinners. And you can ask God to change your heart. Make you more malleable. That you can live out a life that is more like Christ. So... Right now, we're going we're gonna to go to communion in just a moment. I'm going to pray for us. Um, but this is just another opportunity to meet with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we always confess our sins to God before we take communion together. And that is something the Holy Spirit helps us do. The, the, the conviction of sin in the world, he can also call us out on things, call us to the truth about Jesus, call us out in ways that we need to be changing be doing things differently. And so when we have a moment uh, in just a minute here of silence to confess our sins, I just ask you to invite the Holy Spirit to examine your heart, to examine your ways and show you the ways that you are not walking in step with God, the ways you are not connected to the vine and the fruit that needs to be born in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel. 
God, that you would love us so much and humble yourself so much that you would take on human form and you would show us a perfect example of a human life lived in the person of Jesus. You would show us your heart. You would show us your character, your goodness. And God, we thank you that you would give us the gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us and leads us and guides us and comforts us. Lord, would we learn to turn to your Holy Spirit more in our life for guidance? Would we, would we know, God, that we cannot access you unless we come to you and make time for you, make space for you? In prayer, in scripture reading, whatever it looks like in our lives, God, help us to make this space in our lives to meet with you, to be with you. And Holy Spirit, would you come into our hearts and would you show us how to be more like Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.